0: Welcome to the Brattlecast, a first-hand look at secondhand books and treasures about. I'm Jordan Rich, along with Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the world-famous Brattle Bookstore, which is located, of course, on West Street, right in the heart of downtown Boston. So if you're in the area, do stop in. It's a treat. And we have so many cool things on the console table today. I get a chance to look at them. You get a chance to talk about them, starting with these brilliant magazines that are from the 30s that look like they just were minted yesterday.
1: Well, it was interesting. I was planning on coming in and doing a totally different subject uh, today. I was, And I will do it. I was going to talk about romance books and that. But yesterday I went to a man's house and he had a large collection of books. It turned out that his wife had sold books on eBay and other ways, but she had passed on 20 years ago. And he just had this massive collection left over that he had never done anything with. And he was getting remarried. And his new wife, who was going to move in, wanted the rooms different. So one of the things we picked up was Fortune magazine Mm. from the 1930s. And they are – I love the 1930s, the cover art, the design, the quality of the paper – It is just a spectacular magazine. The
0: golden age of magazines. Well,
1: golden age, but it's actually very interesting because Fortune magazine started in 1930. So 1930 was the start of the Depression. Fortune magazine cost a dollar an issue.
0: Which is big money in those days during the Depression.
1: Tremendous money. Well, actually, it was probably... Big big money up until just a few years ago yeah. for me. Mag- but when you look at the quality of what the paper is, what the articles were about, but then you look at a beautiful green Cadillac. There's an ad is- for
0: a Cadillac. Guess what the price is here: twenty
1: three ninety five. <laughs> well, <and> so, <laughs> which
0: is huge money in those
1: days. Well, yeah, but you just think about it: a dollar for a magazine. Yeah. If you think yeah. of uh, what that is, but. It was what it was supposed to be. It was put out by Time Life and it was supposed to be an article about the business world, the, the top of it. But it was also interesting. The one you have there, yes, the cover illustration is done by Diego Rivera, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you could think of an artist at the time who was probably opposite what the, uh, what the fortune and the big business of America was. And they were doing a whole article on the Soviet Union.
0: Yeah, the... Cover art is brilliant. And it's a picture of a train with the Soviet hammer and sickle on the
1: yeah.
0: on the front end of the train barreling through what looks like a red square. And um, what's interesting is, again, I'm flipping through it for the first time, I'm fascinated by it. I could spend hours reading it. And it's 1932. So we know that the uh, Depression is in full swing. But this magazine is loaded with high-end ads.
1: Oh, it's loaded with high-end ads. It's a uh, tremendous quality. When you go a little further into it, there's an uh, there's a big article on the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and even showing propaganda posters in wow. and there. And, but another thing that happened and I uh, sort of relate to things uh, going on is Fortune magazine. You figure, okay, a dollar a piece in the Depression. How are they selling it? Turned out they were selling it fabulously. There were loads of people buying fortune. The problem was they were putting it and they were, it was on their coffee table as a status symbol. Ah, well, gotcha. They did uh, surveys and they found out that one of the problems was nobody was opening it. They weren't <laughs> looking inside. I mean, it's a gorgeous, wonderful it is. magazine. It is gorgeous. But advertisers like the Cadillac ad we just saw weren't too thrilled about that. And they had to do a whole public relations campaign. Uh, A man named Edward Bernays worked for them, who was a friend of my father's. And he talked to us once about it. He had to do a whole year-long campaign not to sell Fortune magazine— but to actually get people to open and read it. So, you know, you just don't think about things like that. The the content
0: is immense and today people quote Fortune, the Fortune 500 and things yeah. like that. But I just love the look and as you say Ken, the texture of the pages, the the quality of the ink, everything about it is is like a collector's item.
1: Well, people still like yeah. them, particularly in the 30s they're great. Of course, they're still in Publishing now, the back, back, side is Lucky Strike cigarettes.
0: Gene Harlow
1: with Gene Harlow, they many times would tell bombshell. you they tell you about the health benefits of smoking. Yes, uh, they have a green package which they eventually got rid of because they didn't. They clashed with the fashion of the time hmm. uh, and uh, many things. But then there are also other things that just don't seem. Like what you'd see in an article nowadays. Um, uh, there's a whole story. This another one that I brought with me is March of 1930. And there's a article on diamonds versus emerald, ruby, and sapphire. Mm-hmm. But I loved one paragraph, and I'll just paraphrase it. But friendly warning to dowagers. And basically it says. Uh, that diamonds are so brilliant, so beautiful, so bright that if you don't have a bright, brilliant look to you they 're going to outshine you and make you look bad <laughs> and, and and it's it's going through that only certain type of people should wear a brilliant, bright diamond because if they 're really old dowagers, the diamond will make them look older and more dowagery. and can you know what after I get back uh with this. I know some people in the jewelry business mm-hmm. and in the jewelry auction business, and I'm going to send this to them to read that. And I'm going to suggest that they put an article like this in their front cover telling people that your good jewelry is just too good for you. I've and got i a, I'll, I'll, I'll imagine what they'll I, say.
0: I've got a very interesting little personal comment. I'm looking through the episode, the episode, the issue that you gave me, Forbes, from March 1932, and there's an ad – for the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel in Los Angeles. And I believe that particular hotel was, was refurbished in the 80s or 90s. So now they, they've made it look like the hotel from this magazine. Yeah. It, it, it's just so weird to, to see that. That's incredible. And, and as you say, uh, it's not exactly skimpy as the magazines are today. How many pages in this sucker? 148 in the one I have.
1: And, and you just see these beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Things. Here's another one that eventually I'm probably going to do a Christmas uh, book and magazine. This is one from Christmas of 1932. And you see this beautiful sort of montage of mm. the Santa Claus in the middle. Again, looking at an ad, they have a whole insert uh, from MGM for Grand Hotel, uh, Gabo, Barrymore, Crawford, Berry, Barrymore. But, I mean, Grand Hotel is one of those classic, Yeah. Well, but it's a four-page, full-color insert, star power. You have the, the MGM Lion, uh, and it's just an amazing.
0: But and, and in those days, that insert was costing them a pretty penny, uh, the Hollywood. Everything
1: was sure. top. But then, again, I, I somehow can figure out um, Indian Pass, Glacier Park, beautiful, full-color. But there was one article that caught my eyes, and they have, in Fortune magazine, a lot of business-related I mean, that's what they are about, and mm. they have a lot of articles on uh, railroads. And this is an article on the Great Northwestern Railroad. And of course, I can try to bring everything to hook into the Brattle bookshop. Uh, the man who started it who, uh, has no common stock, uh, James Jim Hill. And he was the one that really built the Northwest Railroad. Well, when my father first started in business, and I'm talking 1949, 1950, and he was just getting by, uh, Jim Hill's great-grandson or grandson lived at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Boston by the, by the public garden. And uh, he wanted Harvard to have a great collection of books, uh, especially on military intelligence. And uh, he would come call up my father and say, do you have any good books on military intelligence? He'd come in. Uh, he was afraid of the communists. That was his main fear. He'd come into the store. Uh, my father would say, great, yes, we have some. And uh, would have. he'd say, how much money should I bring? Which, of course, for a merchant, yeah, <laughs> bring a lot. But he would come in. He was very... Uh, strange person, but he wouldn't want anyone else in the store when he was there. So literally any customers that were in there had to leave. He would come in and buy books on military intelligence, give them to Harvard. Harvard would have them all. Harvard then would sell them to a bookstore in Harvard Square. Harvard Square would call my father saying, I have a bunch of books on military intelligence. What goes around comes around. This would go on. for (laughs) two. This went on for two years. Mm. And the thing is that it basically got my father... Over the hump of all the initial bills, hmm. Harvard was looking at it and say, "Well, we don't want to offend this person." Uh, and uh, so what they did finally, they said, "This is costing us a lot of money to have to process these books." They got a librarian to go with this man, and and they cut down what he bought. But everybody was happy. My father was happy. Harvard they didn't care about the books, but when um, Hill's grandson died, he left them $20 million, which is what they were really that concerned was the, about. That was the end product for and, them. And yesterday, I'm going to some house uh, in Walpole, get them Fortune magazines, open it up and see an article about the Great Northern Railroad. And so you never know what's going to hook in. But we have about... 40 or 50 of these issues at the store. Hotpot was picking the ones that I wanted to bring in to show you.
0: Well, what would something like this go for? What What's the value of a magazine in such good condition from well, the 30s? Well, one
1: of these is a little bit worn. It's maybe about 5 or $10. These are more in the $20 range.
0: Well, let me say, that's if I'm a customer, and I am a fan, I'm a customer, $20 to get a magazine from 1932 in this condition with so
1: much content. Yeah. Ken,
0: is amazing. Oh, by the way, there is a good deal here. If you, it's a dollar a copy, but ten dollars a year.
1: <laughs> ten dollars a year. So you you save two dollars if you get it. Wow! And make sure to look at the ads. Oh, they're uh, You know, famous. well, also too. I mean, they did such a tremendous campaign to to uh, get people to read read the ads. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, when you look at old magazines, uh, and you look at the ad, here's here's a big ad. Bargain hours for long-distance telephoning on station-to-station station calls, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., these calls cost about 15% less. 8.30 to 4.30 a.m., these calls cost about 40% less. Who even thinks about the call, what it would cost now when it has big clocks? But when you look at the ads, they tell you almost as much about the country as reading the articles. Well, it's
0: 1932, and there's an ad for air conditioning. Looks a little different than the air conditioning we have today, and it, the headline reads, "When the weather is hot and sultry, turn on the cold Frigidaire air conditioning equipment." Which was uh, certainly the elite were the ones, the yeah. ones who could afford it.
1: And and so wow. when you see when you see the advertising, uh, in even the large company, Tiffany and Company, I see a beautiful right. ad for that. Right. And uh, here's one for toma- Heinz tomato juice, fifty-seven with a beautiful tomato. Uh, well, dripping. for the
0: for the rich Bloody Marys, that for the to-
1: rich Bloody Marys. But that's a lot. And the car ads, the Lincoln. Oh, they're beautiful. Uh, you know, you a lot of people will, and I sort of was very happy because this man said to me that one of the things his wife was saving these for was, was maybe to take apart some of the ads and sell them separately. And he said that she stayed busy enough. She never had time to do that. Very happy she didn't have time to do it because it would be a shame to take him apart.
0: Do you know a new world of travel experience awaits you in the Soviet Union, Ken?
1: Uh.
0: (laughs) Travel in Soviet Russia. Uh, No, thanks. But it's wild. This is great. Uh,
1: This is one of the things that I love about what I do is, you know, for the store, you go out. Like I said, I was expecting to come here to do a totally different subject. These things come in. I'm looking at them this morning. I said, ah, I'll do these, and and then next time I'll do something I'm else. glad
0: because I love it when it's show and tell here in the studio. Yeah. I, I just say, folks, if you haven't been to the store or check the website, of course, brattlebookshop.com, uh, these are the kind of things that go on on a daily basis.
1: <laughs> they go on a daily basis, and, and I always try to mention in these podcasts if you have some story, some idea, some suggestion, I mean, I came in thinking one thing. If I got a suggestion, in an email, that can change my mind, too. And it's an endless All of
0: for our good fortune, pardon the pun. He is Ken Gloss. I'm Jordan Rich. You've been listening to the Brattle Bookshops podcast called The Brattlecast, stories about books old, rare, and out of print, people who buy, sell, and collect them. We will see you next time.